Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Mark, and uh, we are going through the letter of Colossians, where Paul was was writing to the church in Colossae uh, while in prison, and uh, just he had never visited Colossae, but but he uh, heard all about it, and uh, he was heard some great things about it, which we've discussed, and heard some kind of negative things that he was trying to correct. And over the past few weeks, we've been going through this letter. And if you remember, uh, we began with this whole idea of connections, of of how as followers of Christ, we are connected with those who came before us and those who come after us will be connected by what but what we do, and they build on on the uh, kingdom work that that we have done during our time. And uh, last week, Pastor Dan was really talking about our our freedom in Christ and how Christ has given us freedom from the bondages of sin. And this week, we're going to continue on in our journey, and we're going to be continuing on in chapter 3, starting in, in verse 1. So you may want to turn to your Bibles, uh, Colossians chapter 3, and we pick up there where Paul writes, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is really building upon what Pastor Dan was talking about last week and when uh, he discussed with you Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20 where uh, Paul wrote, You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. You know, in, in the New Testament, uh, this theme of dying to ourselves is, is a common theme. In, in fact, uh, 47 different times in the New Testament, uh, we are instructed to die to ourselves. And, and this idea that, that, you know what, we need to put our own selfish ambitions aside. And, and really what is being talked about here is this idea of, of selfishness versus generosity. The selfishness and being self-indulgent and only thinking about ourselves, um, which immature people do, going to a place of maturity where we're like God. Uh, and more godlike and more Christ-like where we are are givers, we are generous, we are looking to uh, invest in others around us. And um, he continues on in verse two, he says, uh, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And this is really where we get to the crust of it, of really talking about don't think about the temporal things. Don't let your, your heart and mind get wrapped up in the temporal things, but think about those things that are eternal. In Paul's letter to, uh, in Philippians, in chapter 3 and verse 19, he wrote this about people who think about the temporal all the time, about, you know, what, what's the next, uh, I was almost going to say, what's the next DVD player uh, you're going to get? Probably nobody's going to get a next DVD player, right? Uh, but next tablet or, or, or what, whatever, or next car or, or something like, like that. You know, and he's talking about people who are just focused on, on the self-gratification and how, how they're going to just kind of patch their life until the next new thing comes out. He says, look, they are headed for destruction. Their God 
is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. I think that's just like so clear. And I think a lot of times we don't really think about our appetite as a small G God, but it really is. You know, our appetite for power or appetite for, for fame or our uh, or to be notoriety or our 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 appetite to uh, have more just you know flat out appetite for more food right you know just you know all of these things can be our God and we know we're there our God when when we serve and when we you know we offer uh, sacrifices some of us you know we sacrifice time for our our our, our God of appetite. Others, we, we sacrifice our money. Some of us have even sacrificed our families or friends to fulfill and, and to serve this God of appetite. And what Paul is saying here is that, that those of us who do that, that we are headed for destruction. And this is in, in, vast, in, in stark contrast to what Christ has done to free us and the, the reoccurring theme in Scripture of, of dying to ourselves, to dying to our, our desire uh, to self-fulfill our appetite and trusting that, that Christ can fill us. So he continues on and he's, in verse 3, he says, For you died to this life. And then he says something really interesting. It actually took me a while to kind of really unpack this, uh, and I'm kind of excited to, to share this about, uh, share this with you. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you're like, well, why, why would your real life be hidden? Well, when do you hide things? Like, when do you hide gifts when they're not ready to be given, right? Or you, you hide, you know, your, your art, you know, like painters, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you're, you know, they're painting and you walk up and you want to see it. They're like, don't look at it. Or, you know, if you're, you're working something on the computer, you know, you're writing something, you know, you're writing your next blog or, you know, their best, you know, your next bestseller or something like that. And somebody comes over and looks over your shoulder, you're like, whoa, what are you doing? Don't look at it. It's not, it's not ready. It needs to be hidden. And well, the same is, is true in our, in our spiritual lives, that, that, our, that there's a time and a place for all of us at the time where we grow into this, this time where it's our, it's our, you know, our grand opening and it's our debutante ball, you know, it's, 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 it's our, um, just our revealing to the world. And Jesus actually really talked about this in, in, in some really cool parables, uh, recorded in Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 13 and, he told two short parables that kind of bring, bring a better idea to what Paul is talking about here. In verse 31, he said, Jesus told another illustration, the kingdom of heaven, okay, the kingdom of heaven is what? We've talked about this. The kingdom of heaven is the place, you know, heaven is uh, where we'll have an unfettered relationship with God and a perfect relationship with others. 
So it'll be the place of, of paradise, relational uh, perfection. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, this is a beautiful, very short um, kind of illustration that Jesus is using here, where he's like, look, your life and your part in, in the kingdom of heaven, that it's like this tiny, tiny little thing, and, and, and nobody can, can see it. And, and what's cool about this imagery of a seed is when you plant a seed in the ground, you know, how does a seed, you know, start to grow? Well, it, it, it actually dies, right? And a new life comes out and it pokes through the ground. And from this tiny, tiny little seed grows up this, this massive plant. And what does this plant do? Does it just sit there and, and say, I'm the largest plant in the garden? Aren't I great? You know, I don't know. No, it doesn't do that. No, it actually provides for the environment around it. It blesses the environment in which it was planted. And, and birds come, right? And, and, and the birds come and they, they nest. And, and this idea of the kingdom of heaven starting as something hidden and minute and so small, growing into something large and blessing everyone around he goes on and tells another story, just in case they didn't get that one, uh, the parable of the yeast. He says, here's another illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread, or a man. Even though she only uh, puts only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeates every part of the dough. You know, if you're like me, you know, you just you love fresh break, baked bread, right? And the, and the smell of it, and, and it's all fluffy, and, and uh, I like to, like, pour uh, honey on it. And, like, if it's really good bread, it has, like, those, like, air pockets in it and everything, right? And it just kind of, like, permeates in, into, oh, man, so, so good. But without yeast, you don't get that. You get like a Ritz cracker, you know? I mean, this is like no honey creeping in and, and all that warm and wonderful goodness, no. You know, and the, so this idea, this little bit of yeast and, and, and all this other stuff that, that, that the kingdom of heaven, that you, uh, um, that when you enter into a situation that, that when you die to yourself and you're reborn into your new life in Christ, that through his life and through his richness, that you are able to bless the environment around you. But it, but it doesn't just stop there. The really cool thing is, and Jesus talks about it, is, is it goes even farther than that. In Matthew, in, in chapter 5, he starts talking about us as being lights of the world. He says, you are like a light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No. Ask somebody who went to an old Baptist church and went to Sunday school, they'll, they'll know that joke. Okay. In, 
Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This idea that going from something that was hidden to this, this, this party, basically, this, this, this unveiling of, of this new life in Christ, and that that life should not, it was no longer to be hidden, but it is to be rolled out. And that new life as, as being part of the body of Christ, blessing everyone um, around. And through that blessing, it is actually an act of worship that it is actually bring, bringing glory to God. Evan uh, Matthews, uh, he wrote a quote on, in the green room in the back where the band kind of meets and everything before that he wrote on the board, you are always leading worship. And, and that's, that's true. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to be a, a musician. You are always leading worship as you are at work or you're always leading worship in front of your children or you're always leading worship when you're in your car. You're always leading worship, you know, when you're in line at the, at the supermarket, that we are all worship leaders, that we are all this light, light you know, on a hill, you know, for all to see is as, a, as a guiding light. And I look at that quote, you're always leading worship, and I think about this uh, other idea of our old life, you know, that, that many of us are headed for destruction because we serve the God of appetite. And I ask the question, you know, whose worship are you leading? Are you, through your life as you're leading worship, are you, are you leading worship for the creator of the universe, the one true God, the God who came and died for us to pay the price so we could have the opportunity to have eternal life and be in eternal fellowship with him? Or are we leading worship for the God of appetite? Is all our time and, and our, our energy um, uh, shown as an act of worship for something else than God? He continues on in, in verse 5, and, and as a conclusion to all this, he says, look, so put to death the sinful, and sin is anything less than God's perfect vision for our lives, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. This is not a comprehensive list by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, uh, I often joke that we as Christians are, are very uncreative when it comes to sin. We just keep on doing the same thing again and again and again. I'm not, that's not a challenge. Okay, I ju- I'm just saying that, that what was true in the first century is, is obviously true in the 21st century as well. And he goes on, he says, and this goes to the, the idea of, of serving the God of appetite. Don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. And here is the tension, okay? 
Here's the tension that I think that we all, all of us who claim that we are Christians, that are followers of Christ, that this is the tension that we, that we uh, live in. We live in this tension between the living gospel and what I call the zombie gospel, okay? The living gospel is your bondage to sin, is, is, as Pastor Dan was talking about last week, your bondage to sin is put to death by Jesus, and you are raised in a new life with Christ. That's verse 1 of chapter 3, that we, we uh, die to ourselves and we are raised with Christ to have a new life in Christ. And that's the living gospel. I mean, that's the beauty and the, the essence of the gospel. What the zombie gospel is this, is you die to love and your bondage to sin is covered by the robes of religion and you are damned to walk the earth seeking others to enslave. I mean, think about every, you know, B zombie movie you have ever you have ever seen. Or I guess they, they're even coming out with a but a list, you know. Even Brad Pitt's gonna be in a in a zombie movie this summer, right? You know, World War Z. Uh I, you just got that. Yeah, that's a zombie movie. But but basically all zombie movies are the, are are the same, right? That that a living person, hey, I'm living, comes in and some zombie like bites them, right? And then they they turn into, you know, a well, a zombie. And 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 you know, they were they die and they're raised again, but they're not alive. They're the undead. Big difference. If you're wondering and what do they do? They, they go around and they try to make other zombies. And this is the zombie gospel where, where people are bit with, with the idea that, that, um, that, you know what, religion can somehow give them new life. Or that self-actualization can give them new life. Or whatever can give them new life. There is, there is no shortage of, of the gods of appetite. But the truth is that once you're bitten by this, you become part of the zombie gospel. And the only way that you can perpetuate, the only way that you can go forward is to create and bring in more zombies. In verse 12, Paul continues, says, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves... You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is, this is God as the clothing designer, right? It makes you uncomfortable to think like that, but, but you know, God, you know, this, this picture of, of God dressing us, that, that in verse 9, he says, look, strip off these old clothing. Strip off these things that are of your old nature. Take them off and let me dress you. You know, God as the great valet. You guys know what a valet is? I didn't know what a valet is until I became cultured by watching Downton Abbey. <laughs> that, that a valet is, is, is the dude who dresses the other guy. You know, the rich guy, you know, and everything. And, and, and this idea that, that, you know what, God is our, is our valet. And, and that, that each other, you know, we are here to encourage and address one another, our pastors and, and our counselors and our mentors. And, and we come along and, and, and we help you dress 
And that's one of the beautiful things about the church. We, we help you clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And, you know, as I, as I, as I think about this, and, and we're going to talk more about just kind of this idea of clothing as, as, as a metaphor you know, I think a lot of times whenever I've heard this before in my mind's eye, and we all, whenever we have imagery like this, don't you, like you have something in your mind. In my mind, I always had this idea of kind of like this rough looking guy, you know, wearing a t-shirt and, and uh, you know, jeans or something like that. And, and, you know, he has to strip those things off and then, then God puts them in, in like a three-piece suit or something like that. I mean, you guys have thought about stuff like this, right? Like when you've heard, like they, you're taking off something, you know, maybe your Black Sabbath t-shirt or something like that, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, and, and you're putting on something else. But, but I don't think that's right. I don't think that that's necessarily what it looks like. And, and the reason I don't think it looks like that is because I've seen it go a lot of, go the other way. That, that our, you know, our God is not the God of the three-piece suit. Our, our God is, is, is the God of, of coming and reaching and, and, uh, people and going into their circumstance and speaking their language. And probably the best example I can have is, is, is one of our uh, missionaries that we support, Lloyd Monroe. He was, he was a lawyer, and, you know, he wore a suit, and... Man, if you could see Lloyd today, he's down in Guatemala. Uh, he like wears these like weird linen f- pirate shirts and like these like colorful balloon pants. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? The the Central America like balloon pants and like God stripped off his suit and dressed him very oddly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But in that, that's the cool thing about being a follower of Christ is that it's not a formula, oh, you look this way, now you must look like this way. Because God doesn't really care about the clothing, right? That's what the world cares about. What God cares about is the heart. And that's what we're really talking about here is the clothing of the heart. And I wanted to give you a warning, though, wanted to give you a warning about, about as, you, as you are putting on your new clothing. Because self-selected spiritual clothing may lead to a wardrobe malfunction. All right? And, and this is what I mean by this. A spiritual wardrobe malfunction happens when you try to stitch your new clothes, tenderhearted love, mercy, all these kind of, kind of things, with, with religion instead of love. And the, and the problem in religion is self-made rules trying to get to God. And when you, when you try to stitch together um, the problem of stitching uh, uh, these new kind of things with the, with the, with the uh, thread of re- religion is one wrong move and you end up like Janet Jackson, right? That, that, that it's just uh, the religion is not the strength. And 
what the beautiful thing is 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 that that really the 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 the, the stitching of of these your new clothing is a, is a heck of a lot more like spandex now stick with me <laughs> spandex is is an amazing thing like it is one of the strongest substances on earth right it is. I've seen spandex do some things that NASA couldn't pull off. <laughs> and, and this is a cool thing. Instead of the, 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 the thread breaking as you've tried to put together this kind of mismatch new suit, that, in, that instead you have this, this, this community that God has made that is meant to look a heck of a lot more like spandex than, than rigid thread. And that's what Paul's talking about is, as we continue in verse 16, excuse me, verse 13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So above all, clothe yourself with spandex, I mean love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You know, I was thinking about this, and, and I'm going on this clothing metaphor, so just get used to it. I'm gonna, by the time you leave, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, he beat that dead horse. So just, I'm just warning you, it's fair. But, but really, you think about it, off-the-rack religion uh, and, and cheap grace and self-actualization will never fit like custom-made love. I had somebody after uh, the first gathering come up to me, and, and she said, you know what, when I was growing up, my uh, mom used to make all my clothes, and, and she would measure me, and, and she would make these clothes, and they would fit me perfectly. And she said, I was always so embarrassed to go to school. And I would, and she said, she, now that her mother doesn't make her clothes anymore, she says she has never had anything ever fit as well as what her mother made for her. And now that uh, her mother is gone, that that there's nothing that she would rather have than her mother to custom make her something that fits for her. And that's the beauty about love. I mean, you can, you can go and get an off-the-rack religion. It's like, okay, follow these rules. Everybody has to follow these rules, and you're going to have this outcome. Or, or cheap grace. You know what? It's okay. Do whatever you want, and, and, you know, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. It's good. You know, don't worry about it. Just, you know, never even giving a thought to to, the, to the, the, the price that was actually paid or, or self-actualization. You know what? As long as I'm happy or everything, you know, it's all good. You know, that's never going to fit your heart and fit your soul like the custom-made love that God has for you. So verse 15, he continues on and says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members as one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. 
And then this last part where he finishes up this uh, section of Scripture, he actually gets really, really um, uh, practical. And I want you guys to all kind of listen to this because it's like, okay, die to yourself and, you know, clothes and all this. And it's, it's all just kind of, you know, it's all theory. It's, you know, it, it's all imagery and everything. And this is where he kind of turns the corner and says, look, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is when you, when you leave today, this is something that we can put into practice. He says, let the message of Christ, about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And basically there's four things that, that we can go forth and really apply in, to our lives this week. And... Those four things are the first one is let Christ's richness fill your life. I mean, just number one, stop trying to do it yourself. Stop serving the God of appetite because the God of appetite will not fulfill you. Just believe me on that. I've tried. And a lot of other people have tried too. And with this knowledge... I love this. Teach and counsel each other with God's, with God-given wisdom. This idea that, you know what? It's not all about you. I don't care what you've been told. It's not. We are part of a grand, beautiful story. And somebody is built into you, and you know what? You need to teach and counsel others with the biblical wisdom that you have been entrusted with. The third thing, sing of God, sing to God with gratitude. There's something about singing. And we can sing here and we can sing in our car too. And we can sing, you know, while we're, you know, at, at home doing stuff and, and, and just don't whistle around me, but you can sing all you want. Whistling, it's like ice picks in the ear. Um, but we sing, and something just amazing happens to our hearts when we sing. And then the final thing, and this is my last clothing thing, so I'm just, just take it, all right? Are you ready? You're going to groan. When I wrote it, I knew you were going to groan. All right? But I like it, and I'm going to share it. I get in a track, and I just keep on going. So here it is. All right, with the idea of, of being a representative of Christ and taking on the clothes. Oh, they, they put it up. Hit the catwalk of life with the confidence you're wearing timeless fashion designed by infinite love, by God. This uh, idea that you are clothed and it, it, you know, it's not bell bottoms or, or skinny jeans. Sorry. <laughs> I could never wear skinny jeans. I just, unless they were made out of spandex. <laughs> Some fashions just don't translate, right? And uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Terrible image. Uh, 
But the idea that, you know what? God is our valet. Let God pick what we're going to wear. And really, it's not about Target or Walmart or Narcissus. Pastor knows that there's a place called Narcissus. Yes, pastor knows. And knows more than you think. Uh, You know, going forth and allowing God to clothe, you know, that hidden place in your heart, in your soul. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, just uh, thank you for this time and this place. And God, I just pray that you will give us the wisdom to stop trying to be worship leaders of the God of appetite. That we will truly die to ourself and our selfishness. And that we will be raised in a new life in you. That you will let, we will let you be our valet and that you will let those who have earned the relational right to speak in and help clothe us in tender-hearted kindness and mercy and love. And God, I just pray that this will be a place that we can make allowances for one another's faults because we all have them. And that we can continue to speak words of life to each other's hearts. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 